Welcome back, Jim Piegman, who is the writer of Operation Bedlam, which is a comedy series which has been going out on Hills 8 o'clock on a Tuesday evening. Um, now, Jim, you've been in the studio with me quite a few times, really, um, but I'd like to find a little bit more out about yourself, so a little bit about your background, where you studied, um, and how long you've been writing. Well, I've um, been writing probably since um, since school. We actually found uh, some old creative books in the loft that my parents were clearing out the attic the other day, and I got good marks. I got a brilliant from an English teacher. Brilliant story, Jim. Brilliant story. <laughs> and um, so creative writing's been one of my sort of strong points since school, really. But At, what age, Jim? So about nine, I would say nine, really. I started doing creative writing. Always been a bit of a dreamer, really. So... Um, and I used to do, like, films, like, the, the family had a camera, it was like a big, old-fashioned camera, and, you know, with a big tape, you had to put the tape in, it, was, it made, made a racket, and I used to get toys and sort of, like, make them into films and all that kind of stuff, and try out stop motion, I, okay. I, I figured out stop motion by kind of by myself, and I can <laughs> stop the recorder and then put it there and then move it, and everything was like that, and then, so I used to do all these little things, and then... Um, that sort of developed and when I decided I didn't want to go into like what I consider a, a quite a boring job for me like computer stuff and you know, everything at school back in the old days was you know you've got to go and be a doctor you've got to go and get grades you've got to go get into computers that was a big thing because the internet was sort of coming into its uh, full force when I was sort of leaving school and everybody was into computers and stuff like that I hadn't got a clue what what you know. Well, I don't think um, necessarily the arts are always encouraged. No. Because you know, it's all how you're going to make money at doing that. Yeah, it's... Um, I, which is a shame, really, because, I mean, the, the old quote from Winston, Winston Churchill about the, the Second World War when they said, we've got to cut the arts funding. And he said, well, why are we fighting this war? Mm. You know. Um, it's... Uh, arts are very, very important, but they seem to overlook in schools and stuff like that. But it was a case of, like... You know, you've got to uh, learn learn the English language, got to learn some science, but really you've got to get into computers and stuff like that. But I decided quite early on that that wasn't for me. And um, when I really decided it, I went to uh, college to sort of pursue filmmaking. And, and that, where did you go to college? Uh, Henley College in Coventry. I went past it yesterday, completely changed mm. uh, since I was there. Um, but good memories of that because that was the first time I mean I didn't really have a great time at school because I was always a bit different than everybody else anyway um, I mean I went to Whitley Abbey school and I felt like the whole thing was prison to nice. me so um, and I didn't want to get involved even though I did get involved with some like bad stuff that happened there I, I never felt comfortable in that environment you know the kids would you know, be throwing bricks at things and all that kind of stuff and or paint over fences and people's fences and uh I didn't, I didn't want to get involved in that. I was always slightly different. So when I went to Henley College, it was kind of like I met like-minded people mm. because it was the first time you didn't have to go to school. You know, it, it, it wasn't a prison. And it was like, oh, these are like-minded people like me. And I just found all these people, which is great. And I'm still in touch with, you know, quite a lot of the people from Henley College. Um, 
definitely more than I am with anybody from school. I don't really see anybody from school. But I see, keep up with my Henley College friends, and that's when I first started everything with a possibility then. It was, yeah. oh, we can do this, we can do that. And that's when the creativity really sort of started, was at Henley College. But, you know, I, I actually think that when you are artistic, you kind of look at the world in a different way, perhaps, to other people. And I think this mm. is maybe why creative people feel different, because I know that I certainly did when I was at school. I 100% agree with you. I would say, though, for me personally, it was very hard to come to terms with being different or thinking different than everything. I mean, around... Uh, I say... If, uh, there were certain things like school because I, I was slightly different. I remember head teachers on the, um, on what they called the school report days or the parents yeah. parents evening. I said parents evening and say, is uh, oh, James then not Jim but um, is 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 Jim all right? Because he, he 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 says these things that are slightly a, a bit concerning to us or, or in, in in the book and uh, you know no that's 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 just him and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, but I've always been that way. They've also, you know, I said about clearing out the attic. My parents found uh, a book. This is very weird. Um, there was a, a woman in the street that used to live with us, and she was getting into child nursing and stuff like that. And uh, she, for her graduation or something, she had to monitor a baby, and literally write a diary of this baby's life for a year. Mm. And that baby was me. I was two years old. And this, this book, we found it, and it makes me out to be like some sort of baby genius, like Stewie Griffin from Family Guy. <laughs> like, you know, oh, Jim was, uh, oh, James. James was on the bus, and this woman said, oh, it's cold, isn't it? And he turned around and he said, yes, it's cold enough to freeze your knickers off, love. <laughs> like that. So I was, if that's true, I was coming out with weird things then, and I was two years old. But um, I just had an image of me with like a pipe and brandy at this two-year-old. So, yes, 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 because it's just... Oh yes, James likes his tea at a certain o'clock and uh, everything like that. I, I, I say, Mother, I'll put, put, put on the tea now. It's 8 o'clock, you know. Um, so yeah, I've been different then. But on later life, to come into terms with it, it was quite hard. I know I went through quite a lot of counselling sessions and therapy and things like that because I felt so different than everybody mm. else. And that used to depress me a lot. I used to suffer from depression. A lot, of that, a lot of that. It's only sort of recently that I've been able to sort of say, yeah, I'm different, but it's kind of fun. Mm. Like that. Mm. And yeah, you do see the world completely different than yeah. everybody else. Well, there's nothing wrong with being different, is there? I'd actually say, if the honest truth is probably since starting Operation Bedlam, it's been the first time I've actually, in 30-odd years, actually come to terms with it. That, okay, I see it differently. But it's cool. Yeah. Um where before, I, I'll be so paranoid about it. It's just, oh, why am I the one it always happens to? Why, why can't I just be like everybody else? All that kind of stuff. But now it's just kind of like, oh, here's what it is, so I don't care. But then I think the world needs people like yourself to show that, uh, you know, difference isn't a bad thing. No, it isn't. I mean, it wouldn't be so boring if we were all the same. It would. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the comedy then. So... Um, what were your comedy influences as you were growing up? What do you remember watching on the TV or maybe listening to on, on the radio? Well, I would probably say that most of the comedy influences has come through my dad. You know, he's into his comedy and stuff like that. So I think some of the early stuff I would watch would be like something like Tommy Cooper. Yeah. Um, I, 
I remember watching him. There's a there's a photo of me somewhere. I think we were at um, a holiday camp on a, on a holiday, and I got up on stage as a sort of talent show thing, and was doing basically Tommy Cooper jokes. It's my only time I've ever done stand up, and I was must have been about six, and. Um, yeah, so I, like Tommy Cooper, that kind of stuff. And then it sort of went into like films, like Norman Wisdom. Mm. I loved Norman Wisdom. Because I could relate. The thing is, those sort of like, people like Norman Wisdom and, and that, that kind of act, I always find that I latch on to comedians that I can relate to. Yeah. And uh, who else? Like Marx Brothers. Yeah. Their anarchy. It was like... All quite physical comedy though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, as a, as a child, I really got into Harper because uh, it was, you know, very, very physical and very visually funny uh, it's only like later life I sort of got what Groucho was saying and, and Chico yeah. and all that kind of stuff yeah. um, but that kind of stuff but then when I was going through well like now the more I grow up then I sort of got into things like I saw more of myself in somebody like Peter Sellers and I was just like I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because he was quite mad and so Spike and all that kind of stuff but when I see like a documentary on them I go okay and it's quite comforting for me because it's like, well, I'm not the only one. You see, that's the thing. When I was going through all the therapy and all that kind of stuff, I thought, I'm the only one who's like this. <laughs> and that's how I think creative people feel sometimes when yeah. they're feeling down and lonely. Why, why am I the only one who can see this and all that kind of stuff? But if you, if you look at the creative people that you've just mentioned, you know, Spike Milligan, Peter Sellers, um, you know, real big kind of personalities... Mm -hmm. But they had this kind of, um, what can I say? Well, I mean, they've, you know, they su suffered with kind of depression. Spike Milligan, I, I think, was bipolar. Mm -hmm. And I wonder I if that's... I was tested for that. Really? Yeah. And they, I, wonder I was if actually it's... diagnosed with bipolar, then undiagnosed with bipolar. They, they couldn't even get that that's right with me. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't even get that right with but me. But do you think yeah. it is because they actually see things differently? Probably because that's just, I see like society kind of treats people that do see things differently as a bit mad or weird. Mm. But then you sort of, if you can learn how to use it, like I've sort of been able to now, like what you say with the comedy, mm. because it's quite silly. And I've turned it on, well, I feel like I've turned it on them now. So, like, because they are a joke to me. <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, how did the Operation Bedlam team meet? Because how many of you in involved in it now? There's, there's four of us that, uh, that do the show. Um, it came from when I used to be in a band called uh, King Hermit. I met up with uh, Mark Graham and uh, Andrew Simpson, or, or we call him Geordie because he's from Newcastle. Um, they were in another band together mm -hmm. and they had the same drummer as we did at, at a certain time. And uh, we became very close mates, and especially me and Mark, we used to always meet up for a pint and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we always found that, oh, we've got the same sort of sense of humour, we have the same comedy influences and all that kind of stuff. And we used to giggle at the same sort of stuff. Mm. We soon found out that we loved pranking people. Like, so he would encourage me to get on stage as a character and then make people go, is this guy for real? I mean, is he actually like that? There was a time when they had a gig, the Black Belts had a gig, and I uh, introduced them as Jim from Caring Community, and I got the name of the band wrong, and everyone was like, is this guy for real? Or was it? I, I played this really nervous guy, and I, did, like, I didn't know what I was doing. 
it was all planned beforehand. Yeah. And then people were in the in the audience were all like, Is this is this for real? I mean, oh bless him. And then the people were coming up to the the band afterwards saying, I feel bad for that gym guy, he got it totally wrong and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but we were just giggling, me and Mark were having a great time. And uh, again that comes back to what we were just saying about turning it, it all on the people. See I don't you know, I see people quite weird, so I like like playing with that awkwardness of out of people. And uh, so that's how me and Mark met. Carson I met, um, if you don't know, Carson's a dwarf, and I was looking for a dwarf for for, for a Singapore feature film that I made, and uh, he actually went to university, and I remember because he was the first person to speak to me on my first day at university. I walked through the door, and I had long hair and a beard at the time, and I walked in, and he just shouted at me, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi in front of everybody. <laughs> and it's just like the first day, so everybody's a bit like on edge and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, oh, cheers, mate. You just made me feel, you know, about, you know, really small and stuff. Well, you know, smaller than him then. And, um, and he was, uh, and since then I remembered him. And then somebody brought up his name when I was looking for the dwarf for the film. And uh, I got in touch with him. And uh, yeah, he came and, and did the film. And then obviously, but he is like, Again, he, he shares our madness in, in a way. Mm. Um, he's, a, he's a character. Yeah. So uh, me and Mark and Geordie now um, really get on with him. Yeah. He shares that kind of feeling different. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, to think about it, I mean, I know Mark... I mean, I, I don't want to say too much of his personal life, but Mark has also gone through some, uh, some issues of... of in his youth and stuff mm. like that and that makes him feel uh, a little uneasy with being I know me and Mark have the same thing it's like in fact it was just before we started the radio show he used to come round for a cup of tea and stuff and we would discuss and I was having issues with like being in crowds and stuff like that and being around people mm. and he would comfort me at that because he's been exactly the same so we all kind of get on at that sort of wavelength that even like we've all each and every one of us have got some sort of connection to do with mm. not fitting in with society in a way yeah so um that's kind of cool how we all meet like that because i want to know a little bit more about the process of making an episode um well it's um it's, it's very very fast it's kind of like the show and i think it sometimes it's it's there's a lot of pressure really to get mm. it done ready for the next week um because I write it, we all obviously perform it, then I have to go away and edit it. And when I say editing, it's not like, you know, like putting it together like you would a film or anything like that, mm. or, or it's quite raw. So I leave in mistakes that we've made and laughing and all that kind of stuff. I don't I bother. I think that adds to it. Well, I just wanted it like it was a live show, quite raw mm. and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I feel there's a lot of, uh, lot of things missing that in modern media. Just have some fun. So I don't edit it as such. I mean, there are times when we make mistakes and the odd uh, four-letter word might come out, so that has to go, obviously. Um, but the editing is really just finding the best bits of mm. certain... Well, we, we do three takes on the recording. The first take is basically a rehearsal take. And um, and then the second and third one... So I do generally. the guys know when you all meet up on a Monday night, you, they've already had the script... They've had the script for about it. a day. Okay. And they might have had a chance to read it if they're lucky. Um, and then on the Monday, it's very, very fresh. Uh, we don't know who's doing what... Well, we know who's doing the voices, like for what characters. I, I would write a list and i say, mm. OK, 
you are this, 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 this guy this week, and you're so and so. Uh, but the sound of the voices, we don't know until, well, we know personally, possibly. Mm. Um, but then we don't know. I don't know what, like, for example, Sergeant Sponge was going to sound like until Mark did it. Um, and like in the script, it's kind of said that like we knew he would have problems with his uh, S's, but. Mark's performance of it I hadn't heard and it's when Mark does it then it, that's when it, I'm just in fits of giggles because it's so funny and uh, like or Geordie's uh, Captain Flange we knew he would have he, it would be some sort of like an old sea captain yeah. but the actual sound of him it's we didn't know Yeah. or even Herbert Charlie they didn't know what it was going to sound like I must say I do, I do love the voice of Herbert Charlie though he comes across as a very innocent soul well yeah he is because it's um it's probably on my alter ego. Because <laughs> uh, um, let's just clarify, it's you that does the voice for Herbert Charlie. Oh, yeah, yeah, Charlie. it's me does Herbert Charlie, yeah. And, uh, but it is, it's that innocentness. And I kind of like that, the fact that him being so innocent mm. in this crazy world, do you know, he, he, he doesn't see the craziness. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, everything's mad going on around him, but he's still that quite innocent guy. And everything's great to him. Mm. He, like in none of the episodes does he feel depressed about anything he's just happy-go-lucky fella with yeah. his mate Nigel who's sort of equally as like in his own little world as, as Herbert is and another guy <laughs> Mrs Coughlock Mrs Coughlock I mean is it that's Mark that does the voice Mark does Mrs Coughlock yeah. I don't know how and he, he manages struggles, that he struggles with it I mean he, he, goes, <laughs> he goes bright red <laughs> <laughs> and uh I mean, he's getting better at it. Um, well, it's in coping, uh, yeah. not performance-wise. Uh, he's, uh, he's coping better with it. And uh, when he first did Cough A Lot on the first episode, he was nearly sick because, he, I mean, he, most of it is him coughing for real. He'll start and then he'll cough for real. And he was dizzy after the first time. Yeah. He was just like, can, can we stop a minute? Because I actually feel really dizzy. And uh, Which I'm not surprised because he really puts it into it. Yeah. Mm. And that's what's great about Mark's characters. They're always... Uh, either shouty or have some sort of really weird thing going on where my like my voice my voices are sort of individual voices I can go from like either the high pitched kind of Herbert Charlie innocent mm. voice or to some sort of weirdo voice or the villain Baron and all that kind of stuff or Mr Blood in episode 3 like different tones of voice but Marx gets to the whole um, shoutiness and, and stuff and then Geordie brings um, basically feels in, in between that that mm. stuff with the narration and, and different voices that he does and then Carson just shouts everything anyway so <laughs> there's no acting going on with him so um, you know like you say you're the writer and you've been writing every week mm -hmm. how you know where do the, the storylines come from is it kind of a thought that you have right I'm going to go with that I mean what is the you know, the process of, of the story, then putting it together, characters, where does it all come from? Um, mostly real life. It's stuff that I see. And kind of going back into, like, what we were talking about earlier, saying, like, looking at the world differently than everybody else, instead of worrying about it and getting myself depressed about it, like I had been for so mm. many years before, I'm using it now, and all that stuff that would annoy me before or depress me goes in. Yeah. Like... For example, Mrs. Coughlock is a real woman. She lives, really? ne she lives next to me. She's my next-door neighbour, as she is Herbert Charlie's next-door uh, next neighbour. And I sit there, 
and I can be writing. It's quite irritating when you're trying to write or you're just chilling out after a long day and you can just hear from through the walls. <laughs> and then she'll walk round. I mean, she probably isn't going to listen to this. I don't care if she does because she's too loud. And, um, and I just thought, that's a character that has to go in. I'm not going to let it annoy me. I'm going to write it and it's going in. Yeah. Um, the stories, everything that Herbert does... It's quite weird because as as crazy and surreal as it seems, most of it's all true. Or stuff that's happened to me. Like I was saying about Herbert being the alter ego, mm. it's it's all true. I, what did I say? Um, episode four, Herbert joins the Army Reserves. I spent probably about three or four months with the Army Reserves last really? year and looking to go back in it again at some point. Um, so, so Herbert, that was one thing. Yeah. The hotel in episode three with the... The, the vampire I didn't come across a vampire but I remember being in a hotel in uh, Belgium I think it was with my, with my dad uh, we were on a darts trip and it looked like it could be a vampire and I can remember saying like look at this it's all true uh, I've never worked for MI6 <laughs> <but> <laughs> well that's yet to come maybe <laughs> yeah but, um, but I like the Bond film so that was just basically one of them so you know this um, isn't your your first because as you say you've done a film which mm-hmm. I saw and thoroughly enjoyed so different styles of writing how does it differ in the writing process well that film that you saw for Flora Singapore um, that was done I co-wrote that for mm-hmm. a start so that was me and uh, another guy called Michael Smith and that was fun at the time writing that it was a good good experience because I'd never done that before for, for Operation Bedlam I think it's it's because this is the first time it's me, like really me. I'm not trying to impress anybody. Because all the other stuff that I did, because before I was uh, doing Operation Bedlam, I was working with a, a company called Blue Ridge Films. I was a managing director of them at the time. And when you're working in a group like that, a, a real company, it was a limited company and still is, um, you have to be so careful about what you do. And yeah. the whole aim of it was to try and get somewhere. We were, I was deliberately writing to impress certain people to try and get well, the film just known. Have fun with yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And and I just I just felt like when doing Operation Bedlam, this is complete freedom. Mm. And again it comes back to that whole sort of I don't care anymore. I don't care what people think about it. I know for a fact that the, the snob, the, the comedy snobs aren't gonna like it. There's probably a lot of people my age that's like, that's not funny, that's just silly. That's silly behaviour. <laughs> oh, who does he think he is writing that kind of Obvious pun there, obvious pun. But yeah, it's like my prank on them people. And mm. I know Mark joins in that sentiment as well. Well, it's kind of like that saying, isn't it? Any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, but we just get on with it. Mm. It's like we're not making Operation Bedlam for like for you or or anybody or friends. I don't want any recognition off like people. I'm not. Basically, I used to be in a band called King Hermit. And uh, we, it was always like, oh, please give us some feedback, please give us some feedback, please come to the gigs, please buy these tickets, mm. all that kind of stuff. Or when you're working with a, a film company, it's like, oh, please watch my film, please leave me some feedback, and all that kind of, please, 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 please. I'm begging all the time. And with this, I just like, I can't be bothered. Like, here it is. This is when it's on, uh, Hills FM, uh, Tuesday, 8 o'clock. And, um, but I can't be bothered to keep begging people. It's there that people want to listen to it. Mm. And if they like it, great. If they don't like it, then that's fine also. Um, but as long as we do, we're making Operation Bedlam for the four of us because we have a good laugh as mates in that room 
on yeah. on the Mondays that we record it, and that's what it's all about to us. And the moment that it's not fun for us, then we'll stop. But how has it been received? Because I mean, I've heard really good things. You know, people said I'm I am loving it. It's you know, I mean, it, it's wonderful for the radio because we've never had anything like this before. Mm. It's um, it's actually taken us by surprise. I I knew, and I said to Mark that it's going to take maybe a series of this for people to latch on because it is quite surreal, it is quite fast-paced. I'm quite surprised that more and more people are... It's starting to grow quite fast now. Like, um, we, we've had uh, people over Twitter... I mean, our Twitter followers are growing mm. quite rapidly daily. That's because we've got, like... We're publicising it in the right places. But um, there are people, like, send us messages, like, each week. We have, like, a, a little following of people that love to listen to it on the radio. Because obviously, like we've got the iTunes download for a repeat if they miss it, mm. and uh, and obviously, like the celebrity sort of world of yeah, a so few I'm of them of name a few. Well, we've got um, Nancy Cartwright, who's the voice of Bart Simpson and many other characters in The mm. Simpsons, and also the Rugrat. Um, she follows us on Twitter. Uh, she actually dropped us a favourite last night with something. I think Geordie tweeted something last night. She drops us a little favourite on that. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan of wrestling fame. He's a Hall of Famer in WWE. He follows us and he favourites or retweets us probably about three times a week. Um, yeah. I've got, I'm going to have to get myself a Hacksaw Jim Duggan t-shirt, I think, for any photos coming up because he really sort of promotes us quite well. Obviously, a message from Eric Idle. Before the show started, we had a, a good look. It's a good place to start, meaning radio, because mm. uh, that's obviously where he, he sort of did. But uh, well, people all over the world as well. We have people listening from Singapore. Switzerland. I've got a, a friend over there in Switzerland who works for Disney. She she's loving the show over in Switzerland. Uh, China is the next one. Wow. It's quite yeah. It's growing. There's been there's been one or two sort of negative things. We put it out on a British comedy forum thing, and there was a fella who just doesn't like anything. Um, <laughs> says. Uh, it's always fun. No, but he said our performances <laughs> were really good, but sack the writer. So, uh, what are your future plans then for Operation Bedlam? Well, we were talking of uh, maybe the possibility of doing a live 10-minute version. We were looking around the uh, the city of places where we could do that, um, or maybe open mics and stuff like that, just yeah. to try it out, yeah. just to see what it's like, and do like a live version, and maybe advertise it to a few people that like the show and say, come down and see what you think of it live and stuff like that. Um, we Writing a few songs f as the characters... Is another thing because obviously there's going to be a gap between the series while yeah. um, while I have a break of writing, but we want to keep something going. So like we're thinking of doing maybe like a few songs here and there as the characters. Mm -hmm. I know Mrs. Coffalot has already got a song out on YouTube. She does uh, the Laughing Policeman, but it's um, I've heard it. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. If you ever feel down, if you feel, ever feel tired. That is the song to listen to. Yeah. Mark doing uh, The Laughing Policeman as Mrs. Coughler. It's on YouTube. It's brilliant. Um, and uh, obviously we've got uh, the show finale, or series finale coming next week, um, which we hope to be like a good send-off and good wrap-up of the series. So you've got to all tune into that. Yes, and I think we ought to... Uh say that of course it's every Tuesday every Tuesday 8 at 8pm 98.6 Hills of Hell <laughs> I'll start putting that in the show now have you noticed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's always something to do with hills in the... 
in the well, show. Well, Jim, thank you so much um, for chatting to me. And uh, all I can say is I wish you the best because, you know, to me, I just love it. And I'm looking forward to the next series as well. Oh, yeah, should we tell them all that we're going to do another series because nobody knows yet? Oh, yeah, you tell them that. Well, you just have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks. We're going to be another series of Operation Bedlam coming soon to Hills FM exclusively. But if you have missed the first series, then um, we are going to be repeating that. So, yeah, look out for that. Okay, thanks again, Jim. You can go get your coffee now. Operation, Operation.